It's a privilege to, to be able to stand here before you guys and, and, uh, and deliver the word of the Lord this morning. Um, as I was sitting in my seat, you know, looking at, at where I'll be standing, uh, it is, it's, it's an awesome honor um, and a joy to be able to stand here. And, um, you know, for those uh, of us who get married, you know, you get to, you get to stand at the altar, um, hopefully once in your life. Uh, that's what, what's what you do. Uh, you stand at, at the altar and you wait for, uh, for your, your bride to come down, or if you're uh, the bride, you, you come down and stand at the altar, and then you face this, this amazing congregation of, of people and stand in this place. And the very first time I had the, the opportunity uh, to stand here and, and teach on a Sunday morning, or to stand in the pulpit and teach on a Sunday morning, I really didn't grasp that very well um, until I performed my first wedding. And that's when it hit me, of being able to, to see this bride dressed in white in anticipation of, of, of the ceremony that was about to take place and the joy in which she was walking to the, to the altar. It was like, it was, un, it was unreal being able to stand there. Um, and that's, that's what I'm reminded of every time, that, that first initial feeling of being able to to stand in a position of, of privilege, responsibility, uh, and, and, um, and just joy in serving in this place, that I can stand before the bride of Christ now um, and deliver a message from his word, from God's word, uh, that's still not lost on me. And I still, like, I still relive that moment every time I get, to get the opportunity to stand here in, in, the, in the pulpit. Um, and uh, it's, it's a privilege. Thank you for allowing me to stand here. Um, and deliver the word of the Lord this morning. Um, we are going to be in the Bible, so if you've got one of those, this is, this is what it looks like right here. There's a black one under the seats in front of you, um, or the seats underneath you. If you don't have one, you can grab one of those, and we'll be following along this morning together. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You guys remember this, right? From, from, uh, from childhood? We should sing that more often because it's, it's a biblical truth. What do we stand alone on? The Word of God. It's just that simple, right? So th- we can sing these, these songs that we used to sing when we were kids, and they're still as relevant today because that is exactly what we should be standing on and what we should be teaching every time we come into the, the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So we're going to teach the Bible today. Does that sound good to you guys? Sweet. I'm going to learn too. We're going to be in Psalm 40. So if you'd make your way to Psalm 40, give you a little bit of time there. And we are in now, I believe, the fourth, third week of Psalms, fourth week. Any, anybody want to fact check that? Third, fourth week, around there, of Psalms. Um, we we uh, have gone through a few. I think, I think this now may be the fourth, because we had an introduction to Psalms, which uh, Mike provided to us when we first started the Summer of Psalms. Uh, then we had uh, Psalm 1, which Blake gave to us. And then last week, Sam taught us from Psalm 52, 51, 51. Thank you. Fact check me at any time. That's totally fine. Um, so we had Psalm 51. All of those are available on our SoundCloud account, so you can go there and listen to any of those psalms or weeks that you may have missed and catch up with where we've been. Um, it's going to be one of my recommendations today as, as we talk through this psalm and, and how it's categorized is to go uh, back and listen to week one, because we do talk about, Mike presented to us, uh, the, the kind of categories or ways of classifying 
uh, the Psalms. So go back and listen to that if you haven't had a chance to. So hopefully by, by now you've made your way over to Psalm 40. And you see here the title of that psalm is My Help and My Deliverer. And this is to the choir master, a psalm of David. We practice a little bit of liturgy here at Redemption Hill. We're going to read through this, and I would encourage you to read through this together with me. And then at the end of this, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you just to say back, thanks be to God. All right? So here we go. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written, is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, we're in Psalm 40. And um, as we were looking at which psalms we were going to uh, teach, and we've, we've done that as a, as a teaching team, you'll, you'll see... Uh, Greg up here, who is not with us today, his family's on vacation in Colorado. You'll see uh, Joel up here teaching as well. Uh, Blake, Sam, Mike, and I will we'll all be kind of taking psalms and, and teaching those. Uh, we had the opportunity to get in a room and say, okay, what psalms um, have, have, you, have you read? What psalms are you drawn to? Uh, what, what would you like to teach on? And for me, I knew almost immediately I wanted to teach on Psalm 40. Um, and it's probably not uh, 
it didn't, it didn't start really my, my being drawn to Psalm 40. wasn't because I had spent a lot of time intensely studying this psalm. In fact, I'd spent a lot of time uh, singing a lot of the words of this psalm even before I started walking with the Lord. Uh, because this psalm in particular is uh, a, uh, a song that you too has taken and adapted and made into a song. Uh, it appeared on the album that had uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday on it. It was called the, the War Album back in 1983. Uh, some, of, some of you guys remember this album, have heard this album before, uh, maybe even have the album, like the actual record. Uh, I've, I've, I've got a copy of it. I, I was three in 1983, so I'd listened to it a little bit later. I actually came uh, to enjoy and appreciate U2's music when I was in high school. And that was at a time when um, I, I knew of the Lord, but I certainly didn't know the Lord. Um, and I wasn't walking with him and, and um, was far from him. Um, but I became really familiar with the words of this song. And I, and I had my very first U2 concert when I was 17. I got to see them when they were really at their lowest as a band on the pop tour, which was a very weird time for the band, but that's when I came to know them. Um, and went to a, a, a concert in Memphis and sang this song. Uh, and I've sang it multiple times even after that before. I really understood what was being sung in the song. I knew I had some, some level of appreciation for, for the lyric and I knew it was based on a psalm. Uh, but I really didn't understand the lyric very much. Um, there's, there's something that was really powerful about when they would sing it at a concert, too. When they started to sing it uh, back in 83, for, for over a decade, they would close every one of their concerts with this song. So it was the final song on that album, uh, the War album, and it was the final song that they would play uh, in concert. And so everyone who has been to a U2 show uh, especially during the, that time frame, and even up to the last tour, they were using this song as their final song. Uh, they knew the song really well, and, and as most people who go to those shows do, they're kind of, um, you know, big fans. So to hear Psalm 40, as adapted by U2, sung in a stadium full of tens of thousands of people, and to hear those words sung is pretty powerful. But at the very end of the song, as they close for the, for the show, the band members leave one by one off the stage until the drummers left there um, playing the drum. And without any prompting uh, from anyone, the crowd sings the last line in the song just over and over again. And uh, it sounds like worship. It really does. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing uh, to be in, in, in a show like that and have it be so powerful. This morning, what I really want to do um, is, I'm, I'm going to spare you, I'm not going to sing the song. You want to go and listen to it on your own, that's, that's a little bit of homework, you can do that. Uh, I'm going to give you some of that lyric a little bit later so um, you can know um, just how they've adapted it. Um, but one of the things that, that has always stuck out to me in that song and in my preparation for this morning as I went to go and, and um, prepare through teaching Psalm 40 was this line in the song that I will sing a new song. And it's repeated over and over in that song, Psalm 40, I will sing a new song. See, Psalm 40 um, is a song of hope, but it's also a song of deliverance. It's a song of lament. It's a song of praise. It's really all of those things. And we can look at 150 song, psalms, because there are 150 of them, 
And we can categorize the psalms into a few of those different categories. And some of the psalms fit really, really perfectly within those categories of, of lament or hope and praise and thanksgiving. Um, this psalm is a little unique in that it fits into a little bit of all of those. And uh, in studying the psalm, uh, there, there are people who have, who have uh, said that this song is a little bit of a mashup. I mean, you even see portions of, of what we see in this psalm appearing uh, in, in psalms that are in the 70s, uh, like 79, 78. You're seeing things repeated, exact like refrains of the psalm repeated in those songs. So uh, it's, it's perhaps could be um, a little bit of a mashup of, of a few different psalms. Um, but what you're going to find here is that there is, there's, there's a lot going on here. We, we're going to be able to walk through all of that this morning where we see David, the writer of this psalm, uh, going through praise and going through lamentation and going through a lament, if you will, uh, going through praise and thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to be able to see that uh, over and over. Gerald Wilson, who wrote uh, an NIV application commentary on the Psalms, which is a nice, thick book, uh, he wrote, uh, In an unusual way, then, the Psalms, whether lament or praise, thanksgiving or wisdom, are considered a collection of new songs uh, that break or come from the thankful heart of a delivered people. So that's going to be one of the common threads that we see through this morning is, is, is the new, new song. Well, first, we're going to start where it's always best to start when we teach on this. We're going to start with verse 1, all right? So let's start with verse 1, and we're only going to get through the first half of verse 1 uh, to begin. So it starts here with, I waited patiently for the Lord. So we see here that David's not just waiting, but he's waiting how? Patiently. Anybody really practiced in that? Patience? It's one of the things that, you know, I, I certainly pray for a lot, and... And um, the Lord does provide me a growth in, in patience, but he usually makes me wait. And that's how he teaches me patience, uh, by, by getting me to, to wait. And we see that David has a trust and a, and, a, um, and a reliance in the Lord that has grown him in that patience. So he's describing here how he's waiting. He's waiting patiently for the Lord. He's certain here that God is going to do a work. And so when you're certain something's going to happen... You're certain, and who is going to do the work, uh, it would lead you to be able to even have that patience. And that's what David is, is doing here. But what's, what's David asking for? What is he waiting for? And we don't really know for certain. Uh, it could be that David is waiting for some healing that was described, an illness was described in Psalm 38. So it's possible that David could be waiting for healing from that illness. It could be a metaphor um, that's that's for the attacks of the nation, uh, attacks on the nation of Israel, um, that that he's he's waiting patiently for, and we don't really know what affliction or trial that David was praying to be delivered from here, but we do know that David is waiting on the Lord, and David is waiting on Him to do this work. Uh, we see David, in fact, waiting all throughout the Psalms, and he repeats how he waits often. In Psalm twenty-five, five, he says, "Lead me in Your truth and teach me." For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. And then again in verses 20 and 21 of, of Psalm 25, he says, uh, this, uh, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for 
I wait for you. And then in Psalm 27, another example, verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. See, in David's God-given wisdom here, he knows who his help comes from. He knows who is at work and who is in charge and who is sovereign. In Psalm 121, a psalm that's entitled, Our Help Comes from the Lord, we can read something very similar to that too. In Psalm 21 it reads, and this is a rather short psalm, so I'll just read the whole thing to us. It says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Your Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So let's not move too quickly past this before we really let it sink in here what David is saying and who he's waiting on. He's waiting on the God of the Bible who made the heavens and the earth. That's the God he's waiting on. He's waiting on the God of the Bible who never slumbers and never sleeps. That's the God he's waiting on. And that's the God, the same God that we serve. We have a God who knows all, who made all, who's never absent, never present, never sleeps, who never slumbers. And because of how great he is and how awesome his power, like we, should take, we should take trust in that. Right? It gives us the ability to wait patiently because he's, he's in control. He's in charge. Right? He knows every hair that's on your head. He knew you before you were knit together in your mother's womb. This is a God who is in control. It gives us the ability to be able to say that we can wait patiently because the Lord, our God, is a God who is in control. And then in the second half of verse 1, we see uh, what, what David was patiently waiting for. We, we see the Lord here at work. And it says, He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So as David patiently waited, we see next God at work, God doing the work. So I'll point our attention here to the verbs that are used in, this, in these next couple of verses. He inclined, he drew, he set, and he made the steps secure. So it wasn't anything of, of David's striving, of his effort, but whose was it? It was God's effort. It was his work. It was his, only his ability that, that, that made this possible for David to be delivered. We see God at work. It's Him who's our help, our deliverer, our hope, our strength, and our salvation. And now while this psalm was written for a trial that David was going through, we can see right away that we're reading here is a, it's a type and a shadow of some salvific work that we know that the Lord ultimately accomplish, accomplishes and completes through the life, death, and resurrection of His one and only Son. In fact, the words used to describe the slimy pit, mire, and mud have, all, have often been linked in Scripture to the words used for Sheol, 
a word used to describe a place where the dead and the separated live apart from God's love. The response that we see next from David to the work of God is a praise and and testimony. And so here we see in verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So we see that new song again. And that new song doesn't necessarily mean that he gave David a new composition, like a new work of, of, of a song. But instead, it, it means for certain that it gave David a renewed expression of praise and thanksgiving for deliverance. And that that renewed expression pours out of David as a song. And he specifically says he put a new song in my mouth. So not a new song in his head, not a new tune that he was, you know, just kind of jamming to on his own. It wasn't like one of those earworms that gets stuck in your head and you play all day long. But instead, he put a new song in his mouth, which is really important for us to look at because what we're talking about here is something that David is then sharing, something that David is singing. It's impossible for you to sing without your mouth. Can I just get an amen on that? Yeah? Okay. So that's you need your mouth. That's an important tool, instrument that's, being, that's used for you to sing. You can't sing without your mouth. And that's what David gets here. He gets a new song that's put in his mouth to sing. And the result of that we see in that verse is that many will, many will, see, many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Doesn't that sound like evangelism? Doesn't that sound like sharing the good news? Doesn't that sound like telling people about the hope that's within you? That's what's happening here. David's proclaiming all this great news, the way in which the Lord has delivered him out of this deep and dark place, set his footsteps firm, that he has this hope and this trust now in this God who's delivered him. And he's sharing that, he's telling that with others. And so we look here now at verses 4 and 5, as David then uh, writes of the, the blessedness of God's protection. And he says, Blessed is the man who makes the, tr- the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, and none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Here we're going to read we see an uh, an indirect exhortation for people not to depend on human strength, either their own or or someone else's, or in idolatry. We also see David going from addressing the Lord in the third person in verse 4 and all the preceding verses here to addressing the Lord in the second person, you. So now David's speaking directly to the Lord as we move into this next part of the psalm. And that's worth pausing at too. And being able to appreciate and recognize and rely upon the ability that we have as God's children to be able to talk to our Lord in the first person or in the second person. Be able to say you. To be able to address him in that way. Like that's, that's huge. We just talked about how, how great and big God is, right? The author of, of this entire book, the creator of, of, of heaven and earth, 
the one who spun it all into existence and keeps it all moving and, and, and in charge. We get to approach that God and ask him things and talk to him and share our hearts and to tell him when we're upset and when we're frustrated and to be able to, to be real with him and as his children. And none of those, those things that we ask from him or, or expressions that we have to him are of any surprise to him either. And I think that has sometimes hindered my prayer life is that I, I'm reluctant to take something to the Lord that I feel embarrassed by, that I feel maybe just as too petty or too small, like a, a prayer that's too small. And I would challenge, I'm challenging myself and I'm challenging us as a church that this God of the Bible asks and wants and desires to be close to us, to be near to us, and that intimacy that we that he wants with us and that we are invited into with him comes in prayer. It comes in prayer, and it also our prayers are more, are more complete as we as we learn more about him from his word, too. We can understand how to pray and what to pray. And we can understand that the Lord appreciates and wants our prayers too. So that's a little side note for prayer. <laughs> because the Lord, because uh, David's talking to the Lord here as we're studying this morning. And so what should our response be to a God who provides and cares for us, his children, so well? Thanksgiving. Right. Thanksgiving and willing allegiance and joyful obedience. Right? We... It's a God who cares for us so much. Our heart should be drawn to glorify Him. It should be drawn to, to want to please Him. And those things we're going to see here too. We're going to see that in verses 6 and 8, um, David is going to share his expression of commitment. And so in 6 here it says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your your law is within my heart. And so before we get any deeper into that section, I wanted to look at that, that verb that's used to describe the open ear. And it's actually a verb that, that means like a, a digging out, a digging out or even a, a, a uh, digging of new ears. So it's, it's digging something new, digging new ears. And that's, um, like that, that sounds really gross. I mean, I've, I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you because my, uh, my experience with digging out ears, I've had ear infections my whole life. My dad's had really, really poor hearing from a buildup of just stuff that happens in these, all these sinuses and tubes and just stuff that gets stuck in your ears. And so I've actually seen ears, I don't want to gross you out, but I've seen ears dug out and it's just, it's, it's kind of gross. But let me tell you, after your ears are clean and after you can hear, it's, it's like it leads you to just want to praise because you, you have no other response but to just say, wow. Like, that's amazing, being able to actually hear something. And that digging out of new ears, like, this goes even further than that because, they, you know, I'm talking about digging out of an, of an ear that exists now, but it's this creation of newness um, is, an, is an illustration that's given to us of, of, uh, it's, 
of an understanding that now David has been given. The Lord has given David an understanding to know, to know him more closely and more, more intimately. And it's God still who's doing the work. It's God who gave him this new ear, who dug out the new ear. It's God who gives us the ability to know him. And Jesus speaks of that same God-given ability in Matthew 13, in verse 10. It says, Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but it has not been given, it has not been given them. Then in verse 16 it says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people Long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So it's God who's doing this work here, there too. And next, I'd like for us to back up to verse 6 there and look at uh, the sacrifice and offerings that are described. And these are two different types of, of offerings described here, both burnt offerings and sin offerings. And they are they're at opposing ends of the sacrificial system in Israel. So what David's trying to tell us here is that no matter what types of gifts or sacrifices that are being offered, that's not really what God desires, not what God wants. If you go back in, in the scripture here to 1 Samuel 15, chapters 20 through 23, we get to see that Saul was doing those, those same things. He was keeping the law and offering these offering, he was offering sin offerings to the Lord, and, and that still wasn't what saw what the Lord wanted from Saul. He wanted his heart. And so it says here uh, that Samuel rebuked King Saul and said, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Church, God doesn't, doesn't want or need our stuff or simply our rituals from us. He wants our hearts. He wants our worship. That's what he requires of us. And in Psalm 40, verses 7 through 8 there, it says we, uh, we read, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And I want to give some context here to what David is saying, because... In order to understand some of, of this, him, him having this, this, uh, this scroll um, with him was, was a part of, of uh, tradition for kings. It was, a, it was a command given to kings in Deuteronomy 17, 18 through uh, 20, verses 18 through 20, in which we can read a command coming uh, for the king to write a copy of God's law on a scroll, and that that scroll is to be with him all the days of his life, and he's to read it every day that he may learn to revere the Lord. So David has this level 
of intimacy with, with, with the Lord because for a lot of reasons, one of which is that he has this word of the Lord that's written on a scroll that's with him every day and he's reading it every single day. And that's, 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 that's good advice, right? Like that's not just good advice. Like it's, this is the word of the Lord. We, we should be feeding on this every day. Like this, this should also be close to us every day. Being able to, to feed on the word of the Lord is, is, a, is a privilege that we get to have. Not only are we privileged to have the, God's very thoughts and, and, and his words here with us, but, but the freedom that we have to do that in this country is also amazing. And so we shouldn't take that for granted. And even if that freedom, that liberty gets challenged, we should still do it. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are around the world who don't have the freedom that we have in this country to do that. Who have a more challenge, have more of a challenge on a, on a, on a daily basis to be in God's word. Often having to hide their scriptures and their Bibles. And we have the privilege, pleasure of being able to have it open and freely, freely read it. Let's take advantage of that church. So David is obedient to this command and he keeps the scroll of the law with him, but we also can't overlook here too that we see another type and shadow in this verse. Ultimately, it is Jesus who comes as the sacrifice. And in the scroll of the book, it is written of Jesus to delight in Father's will. And it is Jesus who comes not to, to have the law just written on his heart, which of course he does because we see him quoting God's word throughout his entire ministry, right? But he comes to fulfill the law. In Hebrews 10, verses 4 through 7, Scripture tells us, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of Me in the scroll of the book. So we get to see that this morning, too, in Psalm, in this Psalm 40. Um, and we, having the, the benefit of being able to look at the entire canon of Scripture, get to see that even in Psalm 40, this is whispering the name of Jesus. And it's telling of one who will come, whose name is, is, is a name above all other names, who is the sacrifice that that all of the sacrifices were pointing toward. And that's an incredible thing for us to be able to see this morning in, in, in this verse. And then in verses 9 and 10, David continues to proclaim of God's faithfulness, and he says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And as I, as I read that and studied that, I was like, this, this, sounds, this sounds familiar. <laughs> so I started looking for this, and, and I found in, in, uh, in John 17, we get this, this prayer from Jesus that he's praying to the Father. It's, it's recorded here in verses 6 and nine, six through 9. And it's, it's actually longer than that. So if you want to go to, six, to, to chapter 17, you can read the entire prayer. Um, but I, I have 
this excerpt from it here. It says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. And now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. In both the passages here in, in 17, John 17, and, and in uh, what we just read here of Psalm 40, speak to this family of God, this, this people with whom God has chosen family. And Jesus said to the Father, He gave them to me. And both David and Jesus express here ways that they have been obedient to, to share the words and deeds of God with those with whom he has called. So then again, we see God, the one doing the work here. It's just repeated over and over to us and brought over and over to us here as we read. As we move then to verses 11 through 15, David continues to proclaim God's faithfulness. And we see David's presentation when, or preservation rather, when his enemies are numerous, when his inequities have overtaken him and he cannot see. We see God's strength and steadfastness Leave the psalmist in a spirit of joy and gladness. Here as we make it to verse 16. And then continuing reverence and a need in verse 17. When he says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. You get to see this picture of, of David on his knees before the Lord, praying for God not to delay. But he's still now waiting. And in this psalm, we see the trust and the hope that David has in the Lord, the proclamation and the de deliverance that, that he has received. But that doesn't mean that all of David's trials and, and struggles and challenges have gone away. Instead, we get to see from the beginning to the end of this psalm this, this tension that David is living in. He's living between this new song that he's been given and still the old song that he's singing to. The old song that's, that's still playing. And that's where I really started to understand and get greater meaning to with the song that I've been singing my whole life and never knew the words, never knew what the words meant. And in Psalm in, in 40, that U2 song that I was telling you, the lyrics are these. And these are all the lyrics, so there's nothing more than, than this. It just repeats throughout the song. It goes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. And I will sing, sing a new song. I'll sing, sing a new song. And then there's a pause and it says, how long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? He set my feet upon a rock and he made my footsteps firm. Many will see, many will see in fear. I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. And then the song ends with a repeat of how long to sing this song. How long to sing this song? Aren't we thankful, church, that we get a new song? Like, that there is a, a new song. I think this thing keeps sliding down. Do you guys see that? Like, I feel like I'm either getting taller or this is getting shorter. But no, we get, we get to sing a new song. 
the words new song, the, the psalms start with precisely these words uh, several times throughout the psalms. Psalm 96, 98, 149, the sing to the Lord a new song. As does Isaiah 42, 10, sing to the Lord a new song, also repeated there. Psalm 33, 3, sing to him a new song. And Psalm 144, verse 9, adds to the, 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 vo- the voice uh, in, in its chorus, I will sing to you a new song, O God. In Revelation 15, verse 3, we're told that those who had conquered the beast sing the song of Moses, which is an old song. But from Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 32, they also sing the song of the Lamb, which is a new song. So also the worshipers of heaven are also said to be singing a new song in Revelation 14.3. And in Revelation 5.9, the four living creatures and 24 elders sang a new song. So as, as uh, U2 has asked in their song, how, how long to sing this old song? How long do we sing this song, the old song? Well, this question of how long is actually a question that David writes about too throughout the, the, the Psalms, and he writes it in Psalm 79, 79 verse 5. Um, but this occurs 20 times throughout the Psalm, and in fact is more than any other question that he asks in the Psalms is how long? How long does he have to wait? How long does he have to go through these trials? How long does he have to go through these, these struggles? How long to sing that song? Well, it's the same answer for us And how long, as long as David did. Until the end of his life. And that's probably how long we'll be singing our song to this old song. But there's a new song. And there's a new song that we will sing soon, soon enough. In Revelation 5, 9 through 14, Scripture tells us, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Church, we sing a new song now because we, we, have, the, we have the ability to sing in, in the hope that's given to us in Christ. Right? We do sing this new song. and We live in this same tension that David was describing there too. Between this hope that we now have and the new life that's given to us through Christ but yet struggling with the things of this earth. But there will become a day where everything on earth and above earth and below earth and in the seas and everything will sing to the glory of God a new song. 
Doesn't that make you excited? Like, don't you long for that day when, like, we, we sing a new song and there is no old song? There is no old song. Like, that should make us, that should make us long for that day. Like, anticipate that day. We're in this, this often, like, we're, we're in the season of anticipation, waiting for that. We don't get to be hopeless and just saying, like, like they do at the end of, of every U2 concert, as it, as it just repeats, it just it keeps going on. The crowd is just singing, how long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? And it just keeps going. It just keeps going. For those who are apart from the Lord, they have no hope. They struggle with this song because they don't have a new song. Family, we have hope. We have hope. Hope came down. He condescended. He came to live a sinless life on this earth. He came as the ultimate sacrifice for us. We are given this gift of faith. God has chosen us to be a part of his family. And we get the ability to be able to sing a new song. And so, church, let us sing our new song. Let us sing in the way that David does, from our mouths. Like, let us share it with other people. That's, that's something that I would, I would ask you to do more often. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm going to point ten fingers at myself, and I, I need to be doing that more often. Because I have hope. Church, if we get, if we get heaven, we get eternity, we get hope, and we get all of these things, like, why... Why aren't we led to sharing that more often? To proclaiming that more often? That's, that's, that's amazing news. It's news that we should want to tell people. It should be on our lips all the time. And if it's on our lips all, all the time, and we have the, the word of the Lord written in our hearts, like that's, that allows us to be able to enter into this work of this great commission like this, 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 uh, this uh, privilege of being able to be in the service of the Lord, that he invites us into the work of being able to share that with other people. That it is him doing the work. It is him who is at work in digging out new ears. Right? But we get to take part in that. And that's a joy. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility. It's something we're called to do. But it's also a joy. And so we should, we should rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We sang that this morning. Like we have a reason to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so when we sing this songs like that, I mean, that in itself, although we may have been singing it for weeks or months or years, may sound like an old song to us, but it's a new song that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we can go into worship, continue into worship this morning in that heart and being able to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Would you stand with me, church? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning.
Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the way that it teaches us, that it reminds us, that it encourages us, that it works on us, that you're the one at work in us, Lord. Lord, we want to, as a family this morning, as a church body, come submitted to you. That the words that you have provided for us to learn this morning, Lord, would, would do a work on us. And Lord, if there are new ears that need to be dug out this morning, Lord, we pray that that work would be done. Lord, we are grateful for your son Jesus and being this ultimate sacrifice for us that in him and through him we are made a family. Father, thank you for the new song that we get to be able to sing in the hope that is to come. Father, we thank you for all these things and we pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen.